is BC and welcome to the service. Glad that you've tuned in with us again today. We're excited to dive into our next Song of Salvation. Before we do that, I wanted to let you know that we're going to have a combined church prayer meeting on Wednesday the 19th of August at 7 o'clock. You can join us on Facebook and we're going to spend some time praying specifically um, for organizations and initiatives that are providing relief um, and support to people in our city, as well as praying for our fellow advanced churches around the world um, during this season. Speaking of advanced, I want to introduce you to another advanced church this morning. We're going to hear from Purin and Rebecca. They lead a church up in Kathmandu, Nepal, and they're going to share with us um, some of the triumphs and struggles that they have experienced during this COVID shutdown. Over to Purin and Rebecca. Hello, Airman's family. Thank you for your love and support. I hope you all are doing well in your part of the world. Thank you very much for what you guys do for us here in Nepal. We highly appreciate. Here is a small video clip to update you what is happening in our part of the world. I hope this will encourage your heart. At the same time, pray thoughtfully. Thank you very much. In Nepal, there are about 3,448 total cases of people infected with COVID-19 among which 13 people have died and 467 have recovered. The government has been strict about the spread of the virus and has tightened the lockdown all over Nepal. We could buy groceries in the morning with a very short window of time that government has set for us, then we will have to stay at home throughout the day. Majority of our income source is tourism and remittance, and these few months were the peak season for tourism. But because of the pandemic, our economic status has gone down. Remittance has completely plunged, since people who have been working in abroad are either on leave or have lost their jobs. Nepal is striving to get the economic climate up again. Most schools and colleges have started their online classes, and the government has requested schools and colleges not to take any charges. The government has also requested landlords to not to take any charges. But the landlords do not want to agree because they claim it is the only source of income they have. This is making it a little hard for the students who live in the city. However, in early days, the government provided basic food for the people in need, but it wasn't enough. On the other hand, by the grace of God, some national and international organizations in Nepal are in full action and we highly appreciate their effort. Also, some individuals from all around the world are very keen and generous to help and support Nepalese and we thank them so much. We wish that may God bless them with abundance. Kathmandu Capital Church along with all the other churches all over Nepal have closed the gathering venue but the churches have never stopped once. We believe that this whole pandemic is for a reason and God will bring something good out of it. Therefore, our believers are very positive about it. Many of our believers are using the technology to connect with each other, which they never thought of, and it is amazing how it connects us even in this pandemic and lockdown. They are happy that they cheated their own mentality of not using technology, because it was not godly. Almost all churches have started online fellowship via Facebook. We also started our own online fellowship. The whole online service was a bit of a challenge itself. This was very new for us. First, we did not know what to do, then people here did not know how to connect, but eventually we got through. 
Our church has always believed in giving 100% to God. That is why our youth are always seeking for new ways to improve and to enhance the quality of our service. This was something we never thought and ought to do. Earlier our message was only confined in these four walls and now it reaches thousands. Maybe God wanted our service to air online so that Nepalese all over the globe can feel at home. Since online fellowships are on highlight and many people are watching these services, the government is now trying to stop this because they think that we are trying to convert their religion. Individual churches in Nepal need help to stand strong and to find different strategies to grow their churches and to plan new ones. Next, the lockdown has affected most of the income sources of people all around Nepal. And because of the lockdown, churches are struggling to pay their rent. So let's pray for financial resources so that they can have a sustainable living. Lastly, our church's lease agreement ends in March 2021, which is just around the corner. In Kathmandu, it is next to impossible to find a new venue for church use. Pray that either God opens a new building or provides resources to buy our own land and build a building. This is something that we have been trusting for the last 13 years. We trust God in our plans, for He is the provider. Church, I hope as you listen to that, your heart was stirred for these churches and I trust that you will take some time this week to pray for them and the struggles that they are facing. If you um, have anything on your heart that you would like to encourage them with, perhaps a scripture or a picture that God gives to you, you can send that through to the office and we'll make sure that it gets to them. That's it from me today. We're going to dive into the rest of our service. As always, when the sermon ends, please do stay tuned. We'll spend some time worshiping the Lord through song together. You're also invited to worship the Lord through giving today via EFT or you can worship him through sharing of scripture or a picture uh, with the congregation in our comment feed. Have a great service, guys. Morning, church. Morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great that you joined us again this morning. Al and I have really enjoyed these Sunday morning times of receiving spiritual food together with you so very, very much, especially the encouragement we've had over the last few weeks. Um, I really enjoyed last week reflecting on God's sovereignty together. In fact, spent the whole week looking out for killer hornets and uh, disappointed so far, you'll be glad to know. But if that reference is lost on you, please go and listen to last week's sermon. I'm so excited about what the Lord is going to share with us today. And as somebody asked us this week for a link to share the video with a friend, it reminded me of how we could consider these, these videos that are piling up on the internet as a means of evangelism, as a way of sharing our faith with our friends in these days. It would be such an easy opportunity for us to share a link with a friend who needs the kind of encouragement that we've been getting. Look at this wonderful passage that Ali found for us to read together as we uh, come before the Lord uh, together this morning. It's from 1 Peter 3, verse 14. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Thanks, Al. Let's just pray together as we um, come before the Lord this morning. Lord, you're such a good God. You're so great. You fill our hearts with joy and with peace and with a tremendous sense of your sovereign hand over us in these days. Thank you for that, Lord. 
We pray, Lord, that this morning's service will be a wonderful time together, a time of encouragement, a time of learning at the feet of Jesus together. Thank you for our pastors, Lord, who faithfully prepare and minister to us week after week. We pray your blessing on this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to another online service. A massive warm welcome to you if you are visiting us for the very first time. It's wonderful to have you with us. But also a massive warm welcome to you if you are normal SBC congregants and you are joining and tuning in yet again for another online service. It's great that you are pursuing Christ over this platform and it's wonderful that we are able to share this experience together as a church. Today we're going to be continuing on our series through the Songs of Salvation. Now, you might be able to remember that a couple of weeks ago we said that we were done with the series. But after some real positive feedback from you as a congregation and as a preaching team, just really feeling that God was using the series, we've decided that we're going to continue on the series for a few more weeks. Uh, the series is called Songs of Salvation. And the reason for that is because the Psalms express faith with flesh on them. They are real, honest, and uh, they find truth in really difficult moments in life and apply faith to those situations. And we'd be wise if we are able to take these truths that the psalmists have discovered and uh, found out during hardships and during life and being able to apply those truths to life so that they might be able to live faithful lives for the glory of God. We'd be wise to be able to apply the, that to ourselves as well. And today's psalm is no different. We find ourselves in Psalm 54. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a challenging psalm. But it's a psalm that gives us faith in a real life situation, tough and difficult. And there are some wonderful truths that we can glean from it and apply it to our lives so that we might live a faithful life for Christ in maybe situations that normally wouldn't lend themselves to it. This morning, we got the Cohens, George and Teresa Cohen, who are going to read for us the text this morning. George is one of our deacons at SBC. I'm going to hand over the, to them now, and they're going to read uh, Psalm 54 to us. When they have finished reading, you're going to come back to me, and then we are going to dive in and unpack this text. I'll see you soon. Good day, Sterling Baptist. Greetings, everybody. We trust that you're well and in good spirit. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 54. God, by your name, deliver me, and by your power, vindicate me. God, listen to my prayer and pay attention to the words of my mouth. For the arrogant have risen against me, oppressors have sought to take my life. They do not keep God in mind. Look, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who are guarding my life. He will turn the evil upon those who lie in wait for me. Cut them off with your truth. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, Lord, because it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. Thanks, George and Terry. I really appreciate that. Psalm 54 finds itself in a rather specific context. You can find the story written in 1 Samuel 23. It's quite an action-packed 
time of David's life. He is constantly running. There's a lot of things happening to him. He is currently fleeing away from Saul, the king of Israel. Saul is ruthlessly pursuing after David to try kill him, and he will take out anyone who stands in his way. Just in the previous chapter, in chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, we see that Saul kills 85 priests because they helped David, even though they did not know Saul wanted him. And that was enough for them to be killed by Saul. And uh, David is fleeing from Saul. He's currently on the run where there's a bit of a detour that takes place in his plans. He hears about a a city called Kyla that is under attack uh, by the Philistines. They're raiding their harvest and they're killing the people. And David inquires of the Lord and he says, Lord, do I go and help them? And the Lord says, yes, I've given them into your hand. And, And so David goes off and he liberates and frees and fights against the Philistines on behalf of the city. And uh, they are set free and are helped by David. David hides out there for a while until Saul hears about it. And uh, Saul starts coming towards the city. And David inquires of the Lord, will these people stand by me or will they hand me over? And the Lord says he will hand, they're going to hand David over. And uh, so Saul le- uh, David leaves and he flees again, even though he's just helped their city and, and they won't help him. He, he runs off into the wilderness of Zeph. Um, And if you were Jewish, you would know that that was a part of the tribe of Judah. So the tribe that David was from, he goes and he hides in his home, a region uh, with his men. And he hides in the the wilderness and and Saul can't find him until uh, there's a point in the story where the people of Zeph go to Saul and say to him, is not David, David hiding among us? They, They do it for their own personal gain and greed to find favor with the king that they would sell out their own tribesmen, which is quite surprising, particularly if you look in the Old Testament, tribes stood next to and with each other, regardless of whether or not um, the people in their tribe deserved to be punished or not. They often stood with one another. And so the fact that the people of the Zephonites would go and, and sell David out is quite a shocking thing that they would do that to one of their own tribesmen. But as you read the story, unsurprisingly, you just hear the desperation in David's voice. David is incredibly desperate. Just hear these words. There's, oh God, save me by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to my words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. There's a desperation at the beginning of the psalm that is expressed by David, and and really naturally so. If you've ever had anyone uh, try to take your life or have your life in another person's hands, evil men's hands, you know the desperation that David is talking about. I I remember when Alyssa and I were hijacked at gunpoint and I was lying on top of Alyssa and I couldn't look behind me. All I knew, there were three guns pointed at us. And in that moment of desperation, feeling vulnerable and helpless, all I could muster up inside me was, help Lord. A little less elegant uh, than David has here. He says it far better than I do. But desperation, help, is what you can get uh, initially from the psalm. But as you read the psalm more and more, and if you meditate it and ponder upon it, like I have had to do as I prepared for this sermon, the more I have read it, the more I am convinced and can hear a tone of confidence in David's voice. The psalm moves from desperation to confidence. You can just hear it. He says, behold, God is my helper. 
The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness. Put them to an end. And right near the end of the psalm, he says, for he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph over my envy. Such confidence. David has massive confidence. He has moved from a place of complete desperation to a place of complete confidence. And and this is what we're talking about when we say that the psalmists take real life desperations and apply faith to it. And, uh, And David does so here and he comes out with a massive amount of confidence. Even though death is knocking at his door, David has a confidence. And, and so this morning, my hope is that we will be able to look at this wonderful psalm of complete desperation, but at the same time, a confident David, and see what truth this David has applied to his own heart so that he might gain this confidence, even though death is knocking at his door. And, and if we are able to glean these truths and apply it to our lives, that we might have a confidence regardless of what situation we find ourselves in. So what are some of these truths um, that lead to this confidence? We're just going to look at four. There are many more in the psalm, but we've got time for four this morning that we can see the confidence that David has gotten from these truths. The first one is that David realizes that all else will fail him. All else will fail him other than God. We find David in the story has been betrayed and has found people that should not fail him have failed him. David's own king, King Saul, is going against him. A man that he knew very well, a man that he had grown up with and was best friends with his son, a man that had given his daughter to David. David was King Saul's son-in-law. Saul was his father-in-law. He was family and yet his own family had sought his life. He had run and liberated a nation uh, or people, a city. Uh, when the times of trouble, he's come and saved their lives. He's saved their harvest. They owe David so much. And yet when he expects something in return, they do not return the favor. He, he runs finally to his own people, to the people of um Judah, he runs there, and yet because of greed and because of self-gain, they sell him out and go to Saul and say, isn't he hiding among us? David has realized that there is nothing else that he can place his confidence other than God. He, he runs to God because ultimately he knows that God will not fail him. And friends, if we are wanting to find a confidence that is steadfast and solid in the midst of difficulty, we cannot place a confidence in things that will fail us. And the only thing that will not fail us, the only thing that will always be there for us, the only person that is, that is God. Nothing else. Everything else has flaws and is imperfect and is fallible. And as a result, it will fail us. If we put our trust in people, in business, in income, in possessions, in government, we cannot have a complete confidence because we cannot trust that they will always be there to see us out. Cannot. Man, it just takes a pandemic, a global pandemic, to make a good business suddenly no longer doing very well. People are are sinful and self-serving, and so we cannot trust they will always be there with us like David has soon found out. Governments are, are greedy and corrupt and bunch of liars, and we cannot trust that they will be our savior. 
But for David, what he realizes is that he can run to God because ultimately God will not fail him. And as a result, we need to realize that God is the one that we must place our confidence in, nothing else. If you want to have a confidence in tough, difficult situations, you need to make sure you place your confidence in God. And if this time of lockdown and and 2020 and this COVID-19 has shown us anything, is that it's shown that our hearts have placed confidence in other things. But it's in time for us to make sure that we turn to God and we place our confidence in Him and in Him alone. So that's the first first point, because, man, if we know that God is um, confident, uh, we know that God is our confidence, we know that He is unwavering, He is always the same, and that He will always be there for us, no matter what we go through. For He knows all things, controls all things, holds all things. Who, he who is faithful and he is loyal all the time will be there for us. So that's the, that's the first point. The second one um, is, the second point is the unchanging, unchanging name of God. The unchanging name of God. The second truth that David clings on to can be found in this uh, very first line of the first verse. It says, Oh God, save me by your name. Save me by your name. Maybe a little strange to be calling out on the name of God. But when we see that in scripture, and even in some of the worship songs that we sing, when we refer to the name of God, we are not talking about the letters G-O-D or J-E-S-U-S, but rather we are talking about the person that those names represent. When we talk about the name of God, we are talking about his character, his nature, who he is, that he is a God who is all loving, that he is a God who is sovereign, who is holy, who is gracious, who is merciful, a God who will not abandon us, who is loyal, who is faithful. These are the elements that we are calling upon and remembering when we talk about the name of God. But also in scripture, when we see somebody calls on the name of God, it is someone who invokes the name is invoking his presence. So for David here, he is remembering all that he is. Oh Lord, save me by your steadfast love. Save me by your faithfulness. Save me by your holiness. Save me by your justness. Save me by your righteousness. He calls upon all that God is, but he also says, Lord, be here with me. He calls on the presence of of God to know that this wonderful God with all these characteristics and this is who who he is is there right for him and it is in this and um, it is in this that David knows that he has a sure thing he finds his confidence in the name of God and what's important here is he knows that God hasn't changed that God cannot change so important David has not allowed his rather dire situation, and it is dire, that he does not allow that to depict how he sees God, but rather he allows God to depict how he sees his situation. He does not allow how he does not allow his situation to be the lens in which he sees God, but rather he allows the way he sees God be the lens in which he sees his situation. Now, you would have all heard that before, and, it's, and, and even as I say it, I know it's a whole lot easier to, to be said than to be done and to apply into our lives. But David is so certain that God has not changed. And, and this is difficult for us to grasp in moments of difficulty. If you're currently going through a difficult moment, it has probably been a reality to you that you've allowed your situation to determine how you view God. It's just how it is. If we go through moments that aren't good, we start to question whether or not God is good. 
If we go through moments that we cannot see God around, we start to question whether or not God has abandoned us and forsaken us, even though he said he wouldn't. He, and he says he will always be there with us. When we go through suffering and hurt and heartbreak and loss, we start to question, well, this isn't good. I don't feel good. So does God love me? Is God loving at all? It's a, it's a natural response for us to fall into that. But if that's the case, we cannot have a confidence through hardship. And David does not allow himself to fall into this trap. For David, he takes a moment to stop and consider the truths about God, even in his situation, and says, this is who he is. This is who I'm calling upon. And this is who I'm trusting in. This is, this is his name. I'm invoking his name. I'm calling upon this God in the midst of our difficulties. And if you do that, if you hold on to that, you can be confident that God is the same in hardship. And, and friends, I think we, we fall into this, this trap quite easily of, of changing who God is. We live in a, a society that we start to think um, that we have to change God in order to make him more palatable to the rest of the world. In order to justify our own sins and make ourselves feel better, we say, man, God has changed on certain issues of morality. God is different in these areas. And as a result, he, we can continue on living the way we want. In order not to offend anyone, because, man, we can't do that in, in 2020, we change the gospel and we change the message of the scripture in order to make sure that everyone feels good about themselves, in order that it might be accepted by more. But if we do that, if we find ourselves in, in this ability to do that and, and we think that our God has changed on issues of morality, my, f my friends, I want to tell you that we find ourselves in a really difficult spot. We find ourselves in a situation where we can never have confidence. If your God changes on anything, then you have a problem. You have a problem because you cannot trust him. You cannot be sure that the steadfast love of God will always be steadfast. It might not. You cannot be sure that the God who hates evil and loves righteousness will not become a God who hates righteousness and love evil. You cannot be sure that you have a God that um, gets bored of you and a thousand years into eternity, well, I'm bored of these guys and just throw them into hell. You cannot be sure that your God will always be there with you. And so if you change your God, even on little things, you cannot be sure of anything. And you cannot have the certainty. The certainty that David has is that he knows his God is always the same and he can invoke and call upon this God regardless of what his situation might say. And for us, that is so important. Do you see the importance of not having a God who changes because you are able to cling onto this God when your life is falling apart, when the world is falling apart around you, you're able to cling onto God and hold onto him knowing that he is the sure rock. That he is the, the rock of ages. That he does not change at any point. It is so important. So important. And if we do that, we can be sure that our God, even when things are tough, that he loves us with a steadfast love. That our God will be faithful through to the end. That he will love righteousness and hate evil. That he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he will always be there for us. That he is a gracious, merciful God to us. And as David will later on say in the psalm, that he is our helper and the one that sustains our life through all things. And friends, that is so important for us to get. This name is the same yesterday and forever. Hold on to it. Cling on to that. 
because without it, we have no confidence. And, and for, for the whole psalm, and I've got to say that now, if the whole psalm, this idea that this is the name of God and it will always be this name and he will never change, is the foundation for the whole psalm. The rest of the points and any of the previous point fall away if this is different. We cannot have confidence in anything if we do not hold to this. The next point uh, that David uh, uh, that I want to have that shows you that how you get confidence like David can is is a God who hears. David is sure that he has a God who hears. We see this in in verse two. It says, "Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth." Often when we go in through moments of difficulty and trial is that prayer becomes a really difficult thing to do. It becomes one of the most uh, uh, most uh, put off things. It becomes one of the least favorite things for us to do. And often it stems from this idea that because we're going through hardship, that God is not really there for us. He is not really caring. And, and, and so we, we feel off from God. We feel that we have to make ourselves better. We have to earn his favor again. We have to kind of lure him into here. And so just strolling or coming immediately into the presence of God in times of difficulty is just hard for a variety of reasons. And again, that, that stems from the fact that we think our God is different in times of trial. And, and what's important here is to remind ourselves of who he is like David has. And once we've done that, it's much easier to come into his presence and pray. Because scripture as a whole promises that God will hear us when we pray to him. That he is there listening to us. And we can be confident of that because we know he does not change. So 1 Peter 3 verses 12 says, For the eye of the Lord is on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Jeremiah 29 verses 12 and 13. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Psalm 116 verse 2 says, Well on NLT says, Because he bends down and listens, I will pray as long as I have breath. For David, he knows that while his enemies might be able to take away his places of refuge, while his enemies might be able to take away his literal weapons, the only weapon that they cannot have and the strongest weapon that he has is that he is able to cry out to God in prayer. To cry out to God in prayer. And it's so, so important for us that if we are wanting to have a confidence in the midst of difficulty, we have to pray. We have to come to God in prayer. If we neglect prayer, we are neglecting confidence in God. It is through prayer, even just in the act of praying, in praying to God. It, it's things might not even have changed yet. God might not have answered the prayers the way we wanted it to. But just committing it to the Lord, just being able to come to him in prayer, telling him our situation like David does. Lord, save me, help me. I've got these evil men that are trying to take my life. Even just doing that releases the burden off us and places on God. And in that we find peace and we find confidence that it's in the hands of God. We see this wonderfully expressed in Philippians 4 verses 5 to 7, this famous, famous passage. I'm sure most of you have heard it. It says, the Lord is at hand. There's already his confidence. God is there. He's right here with me. Do not be anxious about anything, but do what? In, but, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
And when we pray in everything, any situation, we commit it to the Lord in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving to Him. We've let that be known to God, our requests, what happens. And the peace of God, the peace that He is in control, the peace that He holds it, the peace that it's been handed over into this great, all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God, that He has it in His hands. That peace which surpasses all understanding because your normal circumstance does not give you this confidence that we want. Suddenly it will guide your hearts and your minds. We have to pray. And David has confidence that he's God hears him and he will pray to him as a result. And in doing so, immediately David's confidence gets up and immediately our confidence will when we pray to him. The next point uh, it says this. It's quite a long point. It says, uh, the point is, the God of all is, uh, is um, his helper and the upholder of his life. Behold, the God of all is the, uphold, uh, the helper and upholder of his life. We see this in, in, in verse 4. Uh, this is the, the, the climax of the psalm. This is the, the, the thing that David clings on to as, as the major point. If, if verse, uh, point 1 in verse 1, um, that, um, that uh, in the name of God was the foundation of the mountain. This is the pinnacle of the mountain, if you, if you will. Behold, God is my helper, in verse 4. It says, the Lord is the upholder of my life. This is what David clings on to. He says, behold, look, see, look there. I've, I've called and I've invoked the name of God and he is here. Look, see, here's my champion. See, he is right there with me. He is present. Even in my fleeing, he is with me. And who is he? He is the helper. He will help me when all else won't. When anyone else abandons me for their own personal greed and for their own personal gain and because of their jealousies, God will help me. Oh, he is my champion. He will help me. And this champion that I have, this God of all is the sustainer or the upholder of my life. He holds all things together. He holds this universe together and he holds me. And while those wicked, arrogant men might be playing God and trying to take my life, God himself holds my life and no one is able to take it from him because he holds it and he holds all things. And if he holds my life, then I am secure in him. This is what David clings on to, that he is right there and this is his champion. We see this wonderfully expressed in, a, in another, uh, another book of the Bible, in Isaiah 25, verses 1 and in 3 to 5, it says, it says this, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name. There's your name again. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless, there's that word, nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and the shade from the heat. For a breath of the ruthless is a storm against a wall, like heat in dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the by heat as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the strong of the ruthless is put down. Wonderful. And this is where David finds his confidence. He finds it in his helper and in his God. But there's more to this climactic verse. Um, and even though that should be enough, there's more, there's more to it. What we see 
in the psalm is David calls on God three times and then he calls on the Lord. You might be able to see that in your Bibles. Um, the first three times he calls on God, he uses the word Elohim. Um, and, but in the, in the fourth time, in the, in the second part of verse four, he changes from Elohim to Yahweh or Yahweh. He, 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 he calls on the Lord. And the, the word Yahweh was the, the word that was given uh, to Moses by God when, when Moses was at the burning bush. And he says, okay, you're going to send me to go to the people and to, to Pharaoh and say, you must liberate them. And they're going to come out. They're going to ask me, who sent me? What is your name? And he says, Yahweh, which can be translated, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. In other, in other, uh, this means among other things that if uh, if God said He will be their rescuer, His help, the stain of His life, that He knows that God will do so, because God has made a covenant with His people, that God will promise to do what He has said He will do. So David here invokes this name uh, of "You will be who you will be. You will be uh, the person that you have said you'll be because you have made a covenant with Me, and I have kept your covenant. I have sought you, and therefore I can trust you and know that you will be there with Me." Now, for us as believers, sometimes when we go through difficult moments, we start to question, will God be there for me? Because really, I, I haven't done my quiet times as much as I should. I, I haven't been living the life as I should. And start, so start, we start to question whether or not we have done enough in order to earn the favor of God so that he will be there with me and be my champion, be my help, and he will sustain my life. Maybe I have not done enough in order to hold, to make sure he holds me. Maybe I'm being punished and, he, he's, he's, and he's condemning me because of what I have done. But the reality of what this text is saying is that we who are in Christ can be sure and know as Christians that we are right with God. That we are right with God, not because of the actions that we have done, but rather because of the actions that Jesus has done. Because Jesus lived righteously, because Jesus obeyed the law, because Jesus fulfilled all the things that we could not fulfill. And by faith in his death and in his resurrection and believing and confessing our sins, we have been saved in Christ. And therefore, my relationship is constantly good and right with God, not because of the actions that I have done, but because of the actions of Christ. And so in the midst of hardships, I do not have to go, oh man, have I done enough? Did I read my Bible enough? Have I, did I help the poor enough? Did I give enough money away? Did I, did I do this or did I do that? No, no, no. I can cling on the surety of the cross and by the blood that Jesus has shed on my behalf and knowing that his righteousness is now my own. And I stand before God, not because of I, my good works and the things that I have done, because of the righteousness of Christ and his good works and the things that he has done. And I can be so sure that he is with me, that there is my champion, that there is my God, that he holds all things, that he holds my life, that he is my helper because of what Christ has done and not because of who I am. Oh, what a liberating thing to know that I am right with God because of Jesus and because of the covenant that I have with Christ. And this God will be who he will be because of what Jesus has done. And I can trust in that. It is the most liberating thing in the midst of trial. And therefore, I do not have to try earn this favor of the God while I am suffering. But I can just trust in the favor that I have in Christ. And for David, that is his confidence that he knows he is right with God. And friends, wow, that is our confidence to know that we are right with God in Christ. Massive. There's more, but we're going we're gonna to stop there. 
That is, we're going to stop at least on that section. That we are right with God. Massive. Let that sink in. The rest of the psalm, what we start to see is, we start to see that this confidence on these truths of who God is, these points that he's able to, he's able to hang his confidence on, starts to display itself in a certain way. Uh, the first, the, this confident life is displayed, and the first way it is displayed is um, that he freely praises God. He freely praises God. Um, we, we see this uh, near the end of the end of the psalm. It says, uh, with a free uh, will offering, I will uh, sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. And David is literally on the run for his life. And yet, as he focuses and fixes his eyes on who God is, he stops and says, I, I just got to praise you. I'm going to give you thanks. I'm going to sacrifice to you. And, and here's the thing about a free will offering. It, it wasn't attached to a vow. It was, con, uh, it, was, um, it was spontaneous. It had no, it was just because you deserve it, Lord. You are worthy of my praise. There was no vow attached to it. David wasn't saying, Lord, if you help me and if you save me, then I will give you the sacrifice. I will give you this. How many times have I prayed a prayer like that as, as, a young, as a young Christian? Lord, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. Uh, we try to bargain. That's not what David is doing here. But we can see why David just wants to stop and praise God. It's because as he, as, he, as he sees the goodness and the might and who God is, as he stops and thinks about the majesty of this God, what wells up in him is a moment of praise and thanksgiving. It's just, you, he, you are good and it is good for me. You are worthy of my praise. Lord, if this is who you are, I've got to praise you and thank you for who you are. And we, we see that in, in the text. It says, it says uh, I, I'll give thanks to your name. So it's not, it's I'm giving thanks to who you are. That's, that's it is. Uh, and it's for his good. And it's good for at least two reasons. And I've already mentioned the first one. It's good for him to praise God because he is worthy of it. And, and as we get confident and as we find ourselves, even in the midst of hardship, building up confidence in who God is in his name, that he is with us, that he is our, our, our defender, that we are right with him because of Christ. As we find that confidence, we start to praise him and not, not moan and, and, and get all depressed, but rather that turns into a praise because of who he is, just because of who he is. But the second reason, and, and, and here it even shows a bit of a benefit to us here, is that it benefits our soul. It's good for us to praise him. It's good for us to praise him because as we uh, praise him, it, it ministers to our heart and stirs our faith. It's kind, of, it's kind of like you are confident and therefore you praise and praise God for who he is. Um, and as you praise him for who he is, he stirs a faith in you and become more confident in him. If you are lacking confidence at the moment, one of the things you can just do is just praise God for who he is. Just focus on his characteristics and just praise him. It's good for your soul. It stirs up faith and it gives you confidence. Charles Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, we are never so holy or happy as when our adoration of God abounds. Praise is good in itself, good to us and good to all around us. And this is especially true in the midst of hardship. 
that we can stir up a, a solid faith and confidence in God by just praising him in the midst of hardships. And lastly, we see this confidence is displayed and right at the end, it says this in the last verse, it says, for he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. In all of the above, in light of all the things that David has just spoken about and all the things about who God is, David is able to look upon his en- enemy with confidence. He's able to look upon the trouble that is coming his way with a lack of fear. He's not looking upon them in terror anymore, but rather is able to look upon them with assurance that they cannot take his life unless God gives it. And therefore, if, if they cannot take his life unless God gives it, even if they take their lives, that means God in all his love, in all his wisdom, and in all his power has sovereignly allowed them to do so. And if that's the case, that's okay. And so the fear of I have to solve this, the fear of my life is falling out of control, is, no, is all gone. Rather, it is in the hands of this wonderful God that I serve and he can do with it as he wills for. He is far smarter and wiser and better than I. And if my life is lost, that is okay. But I also trust him that he can save it and he will do so. It's kind of like a, a Sadrach, Meshach and Abednego type faith here, if you will. Um, we see this in Daniel 3 verses 16 and 18 when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are standing before Nebuchadnezzar and he's about to throw them into the furnace because they will not bow down and worship the, his image. And, 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 Shadrach, and it says this, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't need to. <laughs> if, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning of the fire furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But... If not, be it known to you, our king, we will not serve other gods or worship the golden image as we sit up. And this is, at, this is the kind of the same way that David has here. He says, my God's going to deliver me, but if not, that's okay. And that's because he has such confidence that his life is in the hand of such a great God that whatever he decides, he's completely at ease with it. Isn't that a place we want to get to? Church, isn't that the kind of confidence that you want in your life, that you can just confidently trust God, that you, that regardless of how life is going, that you can cry out to him in desperation, but you can have a confidence that will result in praise for who he is and a lack of fear, just knowing my God is able to deliver me. He will deliver me, but if not, that's okay. And just having a complete ease and peace about it. And that is possible. It is possible if we do not place our confidence in anything else other than in God. It is possible when we know for a certain who this God is and we know that he is a God that does not change. If we hang our confidence there, we can be sure. It is, con- it is possible if we cry out to God in prayer and know that he will hear us because he promises to do so. It is possible when we know that our defender and our champion and our hope and the saint of our life is there present with us. And he's on our side and he will constantly be there for us because of who we are in Christ. Not because of our actions, but because of the blood of Jesus that has been shed for us and the righteousness of Christ has been bestowed upon us. That gives us the confidence. And then when that happens, we will praise God for who he is and what he has done. And we will not fear for our hands are in his hands and he is wise and he is loving and he's all powerful and he knows best. So I encourage you to do that. Take some time, focus on him and gain that confidence. 
Let us pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we just want to stop before we ask of anything, but we just want to say, Lord, you are mighty, you are great. You're a God who loves us with a love that is perfect, a fullness of love, a steadfast love, a love that is boundless and endless. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no height to it, there's no depth to it that we can reach or come to an end. There's no width to it or length to it that we cannot, that we can run to and find your love no more. But your love for us is full, it is perfect, it is good, and has been bestowed upon us fully because of who we are in Christ. Lord, we know that you hold this universe in your hands. But as John 10 says, you also hold us in your hands. Jesus, you hold us in your hands. Father, you hold us in your hands and nobody's able to snatch us out. No, nothing can take us away from your hands. And we are in the loving hands that were nailed to the cross. And how wonderful it is to know that we are right with you because of what Jesus has done. And that you hold us. Oh Lord, would you stir in us as a people and as a church a confidence in who you are, knowing that you do not change, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. That your posture towards us is the same and will never change because of who we are in Christ. May we pray to you often, commit things to you often, praise you often and look upon a world that is mighty falling apart with no fear because we know that you are in control. Glory to your name. Praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good time of worship, everyone, and uh, we'll see you soon. Cheers.